And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Hooray! Back again. Uh, back again. I don't know. About um, you, Joel, so you said you had seen it a little more recently. We will be talking. Uh, yeah, I had watched it American uh, maybe five years ago. So it's it had still been a while, but more recently mm-hmm. than, than when we watched it for this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think I I think I had not watched it since we watched it for group. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so where do you want to start on this? <clears throat> well, that's a good question. This is a it's a big complicated movie. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not not a whole lot of fun to watch, but I guess that's the case with a lot of the things that we have on here. Well, um, I I think I would say that one thing that I was thinking about last night was that this is an interesting movie to watch right after Hotel Rwanda mm-hmm. um, because I felt like they both had a very white perspective mm. on um, their subject matter. Is is this the first Nazi movie we've done for this? We have a few, th- we have a few of those, but I think this might be the first one we've done. No, we did the Counterfeiters. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah. I guess Holocaust movies fit into that same same vein. I mean, it is the first um, neo-Nazi right. <laughs> movie. Which I think we do have at least one more. I think the Believer is on here, right? That is correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay, we'll get to that eventually. But yeah, you're right. Obviously, the 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 Holocaust movies also count as Nazi movies. So. <laughs> which that being the yeah. case, I think we have at least four. I think so, which which is is an interesting thing that that might be worth discussing. But so I had rated this movie a four whenever I last saw it, or probably in retrospect, Mm -hmm. more realistically. Um, But it went down to a three for me. Um, Okay. I, I, I'm not as high on it as I used to be, and I have a lot of complicated feelings. Yeah, it went from a four to a three and a half for me. So I still like it a little better than you do. But uh, it's definitely got some holes. Well, I mean, I guess first we can. So American History X is a 1998 movie uh, directed and written by white men, just for the record. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, supposedly, supposedly is, based somewhat on the screenwriter's own experience. Uh, at least that's what Wikipedia told me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to find his name because uh, David McKenna. Yeah. Who has written other... He wrote the movie Blow, apparently, with uh, the Ted Demi movie with Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that, but... Yeah. I, I don't know that it's based on his experience as in he was involved with a gang of Nazis, or if it's just kind of like the the social dynamic that he saw growing up in that area, or what exactly the deal is, but... Yeah, um... So it, it stars... Uh, well, it has a lot of people in it, but... Uh, <laughs> It uh, has most most prominently. It stars Edward Norton in what I think was a fairly early uh, role for him, relatively, or at least it was the role that gave him a reputation. Yeah, this would have been pre-Fight Club. Uh, I think yeah. this was the year before Fight Club. So uh, he had he had been in other stuff before that. He was in, uh, I guess, Rounders was that same year with Matt mm-hmm. Damon. Uh, when was? Um, what was that called? That like serial killer movie that he was in. Serial. Primal Fear. That was ni- that was ninety six. Oh, yeah. So that was that was before this. That was probably kind of his calling card. But I always forget about. That. I never saw it. Uh, 
So, so yeah. So, I mean, Edward Norton, it also has Edward Furlong and Elia Gould and Feruza Balk and, like, Ethan's, Ethan Soapley and uh, Stacey Keach is in it. There's, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. lot of recognizable faces in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is about a young man who gets sort of recruited into a uh, neo-Nazi um, organization in his neighborhood. And um, at the begin- very beginning of the movie, he uh, it's kind of from the perspective of his younger brother. And at the very beginning of the movie, he um, his younger brother sees a black guy breaking into their car and goes and tells um, Edward Norton, well, he is having very graphic sex with Faruza Ball. Yeah, that's, that still strikes me as weird. <laughs> I mean, I remembered it just because I remembered seeing Faruza's Ball's boobs. Yeah, but, I, don't, uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be, uh, like, is the implication that, like, this is kind of a factor in how things went down, that he's in, like, this super kind of heightened state when it, when he, when it starts? <laughs> or Maybe. I didn't think it was that deep. I honestly just assumed that... That uh, they wanted to show for his. I mean, that's that's but possible, but wrong. I don't know. They could have done that in a lot of she ways. Had, uh, having it, true. she has a good haircut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, and he goes running out with a gun and um, kills two two guys. Um, and then he he does time. And the movie we see sort of this is the intro, and then the movie goes into. His brother, you know, who's writing papers on Mein Kampf at school and whatever. Um, And he just got out of jail and comes back and his his perspective has changed. And now he wants to get his brother out of this organization, which, of course, he has continued to, you know, move up in or move into um, with his brother being gone. And... uh, and then at some point we get a lengthy flashback where, he, well, he's telling his brother what happened of him in prison, um, right? And what changed his mind. A lot of the movie is told in flashback because we have the structure of it is that the we we we're introduced to Edward Furlong's character uh, Danny uh, because he's in trouble at school for having turned in a book report on Mein Kampf, and uh, and the the principal who is um, I can't remember his name, but the guy who played Cisco in Deep Space Nine. That's what he's, I think, what he's best known for. That's what I know him from. Um, He basically, you know, pulls him aside and is like, hey, you're too smart to be doing this shit. We're going to we're going to do our own private history lessons. And uh, he assigns him to to write a paper about his brother and what happened with his brother. So and how that impacted. Right. So a lot of the movie is kind of it's it's flashbacks as he's writing this paper about, you know, some of the background with his brother and how that all went down and how he got involved in all of it. Yeah. Um, and that actor's name is Avery Brooks. Right. Avery Brooks, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, one of the things that this movie now <clears throat> is kind of infamous for is the fact that the director tried to get his name taken off of it because... Edward Norton apparently I don't I guess he 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 must have had some sway already I don't know how he had the sway to do this but apparently he kind of threw his weight around in the editing room a lot and got the movie changed to make his part more significant like I, I guess initially the the idea was that Danny was more supposed to be the main character but mm-hmm. he got it 
he got them to kind of re-edit it to make his performance the prominent one. And the director was very unhappy about this and, yeah, tried to have his name taken off of it, although <sighs> that didn't happen. I'm not quite sure why. I don't really know how that works. But So that is that is one of the things that, that people talk about with this movie. And it's a, it's a source of complaint for a lot of people because the way that his character is... All of the early stuff of him committing this crime and all the stuff before that where he's still, you know, full-on Nazi is all kind of, it's all told from the younger brother's adoring perspective because right. it's, that's what it is, is his perspective on the whole thing. And uh, a lot of people are of the opinion that the movie doesn't quite hit that balance <laughs> in terms of the, uh, yeah, uh, I would agree. the, the portrayal. Um, I, um, I, <laughs> we have multiple, multiple extended sequences of Edward Norton, whose character's name is Derek, right. um, of Derek, like, very eloquently going through all of the reasons why it makes sense to be racist. Um, and we do not have a lot. Right, and the, the sort of slow motion hero shots of him being arrested after, uh, yeah. after killing the guys. Yeah. Shoots one guy and curb stomps another. <laughs> Although I, so I think I think it's a, it's a little more. I don't know. I I this this does fall a little bit. I think into the what is currently a a constantly recurring hot topic on film Twitter of the depiction versus endorsement thing. Um, I don't think this movie quite hits all of the the right balances, but I also don't think that it's. Uh, I have I have seen people accuse this movie of being straight up Nazi propaganda. <laughs> I, I don't think that's fair either. It 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 contains it it contains a lot of Nazi propaganda. There is a lot of Nazi propaganda spoken in the movie, uh, but I don't think it's fair to call the movie that. I mean, yes, but also like. I think it is entirely possible, like extremely possible, for someone to watch this movie and come away from it thinking that Derek was right mm. in the beginning. I think that is very possible because although they try, I never fully buy the second half of the movie. I never fully bought his turnaround. I never fully bought like what the reasoning was. We have a graphic prison rape scene for no fucking reason. Um, it does functionally nothing. Um, I, I, I disagree. I don't think it had to be. Uh, I don't necessarily think it had to play out exactly the way it did and be filmed exactly the way it did. But I disagree that it doesn't serve the plot. I, I mean, I don't think that anything functionally would have been different if like I understand what they were going for, but I think they could just as easily have had him like absolutely beaten the shit out of and we did not have to see him get raped for three minutes. Yeah, maybe it's just it. I no, I was not on board with that. Um, but also a point which to me seemed important in this movie that bothered me a lot this time through is that like the reason that he becomes not racist is because a bunch of black people in his life are committed to trying to connect with him. That's a big, yeah, that's a big part of it. And I agree. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a major issue. Uh, and then the, the ending is also a major issue. <laughs> I feel like the, the yes. way it ends, which is like, it's supposed to be this like uh, sort of cruel, ironic twist of fate, I guess, that his brother ends up being the one who uh, pays the penalty for all this stuff that he did. But the way they do it is real bad. <laughs> well, I mean, this is just it, is that the fact that there is the principal and there is this one black dude that he is friends with um, in prison. 
um, that sort of, you know, that ends up sort of protecting him in prison and keeping him from being killed before he gets out. Um, but like, other than those two, every other black person in this movie is a thug. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a, a big part of the background of what's going on here is that there's, they're in this like sort of LA suburb that has had essentially like gang warfare has kind of started to, to spread and spill over into this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is really like, <laughs> other, other than the principal, the, uh, all the other black characters in the movie are just sort of part of that. And that they don't get their, th- that side of it doesn't get their, their lengthy backstory explaining how they ended up that way, right? So that's... We occasionally get characters in the movie who are like, but social inequality. And then Derek gets another five and a half minutes to talk about why social inequality is bullshit and why white people did fine when they came to the U.S. and why can't the black people do fine? And so, like, we occasionally have these, like, kind of attempts to be like, but this, but it never feels at all balanced in terms of like what we get to see or hear. Um, and because again, except for these two sort of, you know, shining examples of black people, uh, all the rest of them are thugs <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> and it's, it's not great. Um, I think I would have found this movie more interesting if there had been a, a white person who had managed to get <laughs> to, because it is not black people's jobs. To, to put themselves in active danger. Yeah, I mean there are black people who sort of take on that. Of that course, role and on if their individual own, people but, want to do that, that's fine. Right. But the way that this movie makes it look like this is the only way for someone to like, and you know, again, like I absolutely believe that white supremacy is one of many things all sort of tangled together that is like sort of enticing young boys and and women, not just boys, young girls too. Um, and that, yeah, that absolutely that people take advantage of them, that people, um, you know, like find sort of lonely, disaffected youth who are already angry and give them something to point their anger at. Um, but (sighs) look, he murdered two people and I'm going to be honest by the end of the movie, I really did not feel like, like, I mean, like, I guess at the very end, his brother dies or whatever. And he's upset about that. But like, I don't really feel like he felt that bad about it. You know, I like, even when he didn't like, even when he didn't hate black people anymore, there's never any kind of indication of him being like, well, shit, I horribly murdered two people. That's true. The, 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 the idea that he, of, remorse for his specific crime uh is not really a factor in the plot uh which is yeah no that's that's a good point yeah (laughs) uh, like we're kind of supposed to feel bad for him for being like taken in by this guy and i mean that's legit the cameron dude who was like you know found this right that was stacy keach uh, yeah yeah who was you know, angry because his father had been killed um, and all of this stuff. Like, 
you know, and took advantage of that. Absolutely he did. But, like, Cameron was not there when he shot and curb stomped two guys. Like, at the end of the day, he was an adult. And I'm not saying that I wanted him to be in jail for the rest of his life. I don't tend to think that incarceration is the most effective way of anything, which is another side issue I had that I was like, look, I'm not saying there are not people who go into prison and who may come out with a new perspective on life. But most of the time, prison violence just sort of begets more mm-hmm. violence. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I, I suspect there are way more people who go into prison and become white supremacists right. than white supremacists who go into prison and become not racist. Probably that's true, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I suspect, I don't know, I could be wrong about this, but I, I suspect the uh, the portrayal of the white supremacist neo-Nazi prison gang in this movie is probably probably fairly accurate in that it is more about like a, a sort of uh, inner prison like tribalism protection thing than it is about any actual ideology and not all, not all the time certainly but I, I suspect there's there's some I suspect there's something to that and that is part of what he runs up against in this movie is that he's he's too radical for the prison Nazis <laughs> <laughs> they are right. they, they don't take it very well. And I mean, obviously this is this is anecdotal, but I will say that my friend's brother has been in prison for quite a while and has become like like she had to tell him to stop like to stop asking her to send him certain books, which were clearly neo-Nazi ideology. Mm. Um like and that was not. They're bored, man. Yeah, like no, I'm, they have I'm not, nothing to do. I'm, I'm not saying that that you know this is. Uh, I'm not. I'm not on here defending <laughs> prison Nazis. I'm just saying I'm not that record. convinced that the ideology is not also a big part of it. And I mean, I'm sure, of course, there are. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are agreements and back and forth and whatever. And yes, I understand the general idea was that he was upset that the head of the neo Nazi gang was dealing with the. I think the Hispanic gang and right. um, like selling uh, drugs or whatever back to the whites. And he, he's upset about this. But like, I don't know. I, I just uh, uh. I never fully bought his turnaround, which means that the first half of the movie is sort of the most compelling and that and the most compelling part mostly means that we get to listen to Edward Norton give sermons about why it makes sense to be neo-Nazis in America. Well, so so here's my I think that the decision to actually have Norton's character voice all of that and to have it all kind of spelled out on screen. I'm not sure I disagree with that decision. I cuz there's some there's there's a thing that you often see in in movies like this where either where the, you know, the side that the movie disagrees with is presented very simplistically or disingenuously. I I think there is something, I think there's an argument to be made for the tactic of actually letting, letting the other side quote unquote in the movie kind of have their say without not have their say. That's you, do you, do you get what I'm saying? No, like, I, I do get what there's, you're there's, saying. There's... And I don't disagree with that. The fact, the fact that the issue that I had a problem with was not so much that they allowed him to say the things that he said, but that the movie never meaningfully counters those things. And so then I, we are I disagree. just left. With I disagree. The, the movie doesn't counter them rhetorically. Like you don't have a guy standing up to debate him. But I don't know that that's necessarily a bad choice because that I don't think that's necessarily an effective tactic. Uh, I don't necessarily 
want them to debate him. I just gen- like I don't buy the end. And if I don't buy the end, then it doesn't feel very compelling. And every single remotely like against him concept that they have is said by characters who are then like beat have the shit beat out of them, <laughs> well, <laughs> including I, his own family, which I think is one of the more upsetting scenes in that movie by far. It is. It is very. But it's also very effective, I think. No, and I'm not opposed to that scene. I yeah. just, I'm not opposed to them having these things. I do not feel at any point that the movie like justifies those scenes by having enough on the other side of things. I certainly feel like that it's entirely possible that, like I said, that especially someone who is already on the brink of things who watch that and, and end up going more towards neo-Nazism than away from it. <sighs> Not that it's like the movie's response. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's what I'm. But like, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we had this, but it does matter. I mean, we had this conversation about like the legacy of the Matrix and stuff, too. It's certainly right. the Wachowski's responsibility to have known that that was going to happen. I would argue that it was more the filmmaker's responsibility to suspect that this is going to happen. But like, but that doesn't mean it's not true. And looking back at it now, I think it's an important element of the movie. I don't know. Is so I don't I'm I'm not aware. Is that a are there are there people who uh, who use this movie as a as a a, a neo Nazi text? I mean, I was looking at an article last night, but it was it was something about how like neo Nazis in general have like a complicated relationship with the movie, which I don't think you you want neo Nazis to have a complicated. <laughs> no, probably not with your movie. Um, I mean, <laughs> I would say that you could play just the scenes of Edward Norton giving speeches to people and it would sound very cool. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that you could say that about all kinds of movies, though. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think at so, the end of the day, I just like couldn't I couldn't get past the fact that I never really bought his turnaround and that everything about his turnaround was functionally was functionally because black people put themselves in danger to take care of him. So here's, here's where I'm, uh, I'm, I'm mostly with you. I think I bought his turnaround a little more than you did, but I'm, I'm mostly with you. But so the thing that this movie does have going for it is Edward Norton's performance, which is monumental. He's so good in this movie. He's very it, it is a very complicated character that goes through a, a very, very wide character arc. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, he, he has to hit an awful lot of complicated notes. And I think it's pretty flawless. So that, for me, that's enough to carry the movie for the most part. I think uh, it runs into very serious problems with the way it ends, though. There's this kind of subplot going on throughout the movie where... Um, the younger brother Danny <clears throat> has this um, this sort of rivalry going with this group of of black kids at his high school. Who uh, we he, there's a scene early on of them beating up a kid in the bathroom because he had accused one of them of cheating, and Danny comes out and kind of scares him off. And uh, and throughout the movie, then we kind of see this kid hanging out with you know other, I guess gangsters they're supposed to be although it's never clear there's one mention of like crip and blood uh gangs being in the area but none of it's never it it doesn't go into any kind of detail about any of that but throughout the movie we see these little bits of him 
you know, he's hanging out with this guy who's like his older brother or something. And Danny is walking by and he points him out to him. It's like, yeah, that's the guy, you know? And then we see later, we see this, this, this older guy and the, the kid driving past the apartment. And so they're kind of like in the background for this whole movie. And then at the end of the movie, after, you know, uh, they've had their big, their big heart to heart. And, uh, He's told Danny about his prison experience and Danny has written this paper about how his realization that basically just that hate isn't worth the energy. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's, he comes to school, a changed kid. And, uh, this, this black teenager that he's been tussling with comes into the bathroom and shoots him and kills him. And that's, that's how the movie ends. And so it, it's, as I said, none of these none of these black characters get this backstory explaining how they ended up in the mindset that they have. I don't think the kid who shot him even had a name. No, I don't think so. Um, I, I'm looking. Actually, I'm, I'm looking through the the letterbox cast list, and I think it's probably this. There's a character named Lawrence, uh, who I think that's probably him, just based on like where he's at in the cast list. But I don't think his name is ever spoken in the movie. Oddly enough, that actor, his name is Antonio David Lyons. One of his only other film credits, Hotel Rwanda. <laughs> but, uh, that's just a weird coincidence. But uh, but yeah, he's never he's never given any kind of he's not really a character. Uh, and having him just step out and and kill Danny at the end of the movie, honestly, kind of undercuts a lot of what the movie has been building. And I do kind of some I do kind of wonder if maybe there was more to his character in the original cut of the movie before Edward Norton decided that he wanted to be the lead. <laughs> maybe. I don't have any idea if there was or not. That's pure speculation on my part, but it's possible. Have you did you read what um what the director initially wanted the ending to be versus what it no. was? No, I didn't see that. Apparently what he initially wanted the ending to be was um that uh, it was going to end with Edward Norton picking up a gun and going out to oh, interesting. get revenge okay. on his brother. But Edward Norton was extremely was extremely opposed to that because he wanted it to end with some hope, I guess, is what he said. So do you think that would have been a better ending? I have no idea. I, I mean, I, I, that, I feel like that might lean more towards your... Uh, yeah, I, I found the article I was looking redemption. for, by the way. Um, it was uh, it was in the Canadian Jewish News Um and it was the alt rights relationship with American History X. Uh. Um, that um, let's see, uh, if there's one line most moviegoers remember from American History X, it's the famous one in its final act: "Life is hate is baggage. Life's too short to be pissed off all the time." I did not remember that line at all, but sure. Um, <laughs> that line is not, however, what viewers from the alt right remember. Um, most people realize the film is a cogent analysis of modern hatred, skeptical of the logic behind racially incited violence, but giving it credence by representing it fairly. White nationalists, however, see that representation as an endorsement of their mentality. Derek's arguments in favor of a race realist perspective are sound, informed, and quite frankly, excellent, writes Spencer Quinn in Counter Currents, publishing a white nationalist blog. In the same way that all American country boys carry a Huckleberry Finn in their heart, to everyone in the alt-right should carry a Derek Vineyard. Folks on the Reddit web forum debate the alt-right agree um, with one member saying it does give a fair voice to some of our opinions. Obviously, this is a lot like just like like random quotes from people mm -hmm. or whatever. But th there certainly are people who, you know, feel like it does not. I will say that for me, I thought the best part of the movie and I wish that this had been woven in a little better or whatever <clears throat> um, 
was towards the end where Danny's writing about that, like Derek would probably say it started with our father being killed. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Right. Um, that is that is kind of the key scene that ties everything together at the end is you find out that the, the father that he had idolized and his his kind of random murder, it's, his father was a firefighter and he had been killed while, like he'd been shot to death while trying to fight a house fire. Right. And that is kind of what has been showed as the sort of inciting incident uh, in his descent into nazism but right we have this key scene towards the end where we find out that actually his dad was a racist piece of shit (laughs) had been had been whispering this stuff in his ear since you know obviously before that right it was the thing where where when the um when the the principal had initially come as a teacher um and you know uh derek was really was really impressed with him and you know was basically saying that and when his father played by william russ most famous probably for playing Corey matthew's dad in uh, boy meets world um maybe that's not true but that's what i know him from <laughs> uh he's like well what's this what's this book and uh what was it it was it was native son native son um and <clears throat> Uh, he's like, what's that? And then he starts going on this whole thing about affirmative blackshin and how, you know, right. you just they're, gotta, they're, they're kicking classic books out of the classroom in order to make room for this just because it was written by a black guy. That right. It's more important to have black books than it is to have good books, basically, is what he says. Right. And then says the two guys were hired onto his firefighting squad just because they were black, even though they didn't do as well at the tests. And like, you got to be thinking about stuff like this. Um, and so, you know, and I think that that, like, the stuff that, that he was saying, um, I mean, more, it, it's a little more virulent, but that reminded me a lot more of what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. That was, yeah, I, I, he actually uses the N word in this scene. Yes, which, and no one uh, in our house, the people that we, that. yeah, the people that we grew up with would not have done that. But everything else he's saying sounds exactly like the stuff we heard growing yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. All the arguments that I heard growing up against, you know, affirmative action, my like extremely limited even understanding of what that was. Right. Um, you know, arguments that I heard about, you know, what is actually equality? What is that? Like all of those things, you know. 100%. I had all sorts of awful things said about various races in sort of that exact same, like, well, you just got to think about, like, why mm-hmm. is this kind of way? And so that was interesting to me. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is one of those movies where talking about it more, I like it less. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I think that, I mean, that scene is, is I, I feel like that there's an, there's a, an unusual level of, of nuance in having that scene in there the way they do that it's this stuff that is much more like sort of everyday. Yes. No. And, and that, and that is what and, I liked about that. And the way that if you, if that's your, if that's your baseline, then, you know, uh, the wrong push can send you into something a lot darker, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it's interesting. And I, I do think that there's, I think that it's uh, it's a lot it's a lot more interesting than if you know it had just been like his his father had been randomly murdered by a black guy and so he decided to become a Nazi like that. Yeah, no, I mean that's true. Is there um, any other part of this uh, this story that you wanted to talk about a little more? Would you recommend people watch it? Um, I don't know that I would. Re- I, I I wouldn't give it like a blanket recommendation. I certainly wouldn't say that ev- it's a movie that everyone should watch. Which I pr- maybe would have said that when I was younger, because again, this is part of this is you know when we watched this before, this was probably the most complex portrayal of this stuff that we had ever yes. seen anywhere, right? Definitely. So, 
it it seemed very sort of mind blowing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are are pretty far beyond this already. I think and who will not find it helpful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. I, I think that like a lot of movies <clears throat> of this sort, I guess um, that. Uh, I can see I can see it potentially being useful in a certain space. I mean, the certain space that I think we were sort of at uh, when we watched it, and just like if you're if you're really on like a super one hundred and one mm-hmm. level of a lot of this stuff, and like I think just now it just doesn't it just doesn't uh, I don't know it just, it just doesn't hold up the same for me. But maybe that's just because I'm you know hopefully a little past that place and have you know maybe now it feels a little too simplistic for me or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely not wrong about a lot of the problems that it has. Uh, I think I think uh, Norton's performance gets it more mileage for me than it does for you. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of Norton. I'm I'm not necessarily a huge fan of him in general. I think he's usually pretty good, um, but I think he's really great in this. Although I he's, I, he's good I, in most of it. I didn't I didn't really super buy him in his whole reaction scene at the end with Danny getting shot. Oh, yeah. The Oscar reel scene. I guess. Yeah, and I don't know if that was really because it was just <laughs> but, in slow motion, so it looks silly. Yeah. <laughs> but he has some, he has, like, the scene, for example, where he goes to talk to Cameron. Yeah. And, you know, tell him, stay away from my family. The, there's there's an interesting thing going on there where, like, he's he's still, like, a violent reactionary dude. <laughs> like, he almost, he almost gets himself killed because he loses his temper with that guy. And, yeah. he, like, he barely gets out of there. Just because he is, this is still kind of how he responds to things. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, he hasn't, like, learned not to be, like... I mean, he, he he he's learned that he should not be. Like, he knows better, but it's still kind of his his knee-jerk reaction. It was interesting. And, and that whole scene was very well played. I mean, obviously, I, I, as I'm saying, I thought all of his stuff was very well played, but... Yeah, that scene no, I mean, I, I agree. Um it was. And there was some interesting stuff in there. I guess I feel like a lot of the interesting stuff just never got as much time as the Nazi speeches. I don't know. Mm. One side note that annoyed me a lot as I was watching the movie. Um, so Ethan Suplay, Suplay, I don't know how you pronounce his name, mm-hmm. is in this. And like, you know, he's an asshole neo-Nazi who sings a version of glory, glory, hallelujah with with the whites go marching on or whatever. Yeah. That's Um, a real song. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. But like, (laughs) exactly. Anyway, but like he's fat. That's literally all the movie cares about. The amount of time that is spent giving him shit for being fat by both the Nazis and the, and the not Nazi characters. He's also immensely stupid, but the movie ties the two things together. Yes. It, it's just gross. It's just gross. I, and, like, yeah. it wasn't just, like, that it was the other Nazis giving him shit, although they did. But, like, you know, our liberal characters and whatever, like, there's an extended sequence of, like, a minute of, you know, uh, the sister who is going to college and who is very opposed to all these ideologies, basically just, like, talking shit at him about, like, when was the last time you could see your feet or whatever? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's gross. It's and it's so unnecessary and stupid and just that. Yeah. <laughs> and Ethan Suple is a very good actor. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't like that. It was an interesting role for him because at least in most of what I've seen him in, he's usually a very likable guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he was he was quite quite good at this. Yeah, uh, no, he, he did a good job. Yeah. I was just annoyed that that was the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, for sure. Oh. Uh, 
Well, I think that's about all I got. Anything else you want to add in the mix before we move uh, on? Probably not. Okay. So what are we doing next? Are we picking our next movie? Let's pick our next movie. I believe we have 65 remaining. 65. Yes, okay. Not quite to halfway, but we're making progress. <laughs> uh, what's number 11? Number 11 is Bloody Sunday. Oh, okay. That is definitely a movie I have not seen since. Yeah, no, I, I have not either. So, yeah, so we'll go on to um, other horrors. Um, Bloody yeah. Sunday. Yeah, that'll be, man, that's that's a rough one from what I remember. Of course, that's the case with most of these. I was going to say, at some point, we're going to have to have a conversation about how our only concept of, like, what made interesting moral questions was, like, severe brutality. <laughs> yeah, there is. It is definitely overrepresented. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think. For sure. I think it, maybe maybe we'll do that as we're closing down, like count up how many of the movies. Yeah, have, like brutality in them, and talk about our relationship with uh, with violence or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, do we want to get into what we've been watching? So last time we did it a little differently because we were just doing our top tens, so we didn't. Right. So I don't so know if you want to go back stuff. further and, you know. Uh, I'm probably going to go back further just because I don't. Otherwise, I'm not going to. I'm only going to have like two things otherwise. Oh, that is uh, not my experience. But yes. <laughs> so I'll probably I'll probably just go because I had a couple other things a little farther back that I wanted to talk about, too. So. OK. Uh, do you want to start or should I? Uh, go ahead. OK. Um, well, I was looking through things to see kind of what we. We watched one thing that I did. I did want to mention we were watching some short films on Criterion um, by a woman named uh, named Elizabeth Subrin, who I had never heard of before. It looks like she's done primarily shorts, but her short films were just really, really interesting. Um, I liked them a lot. Uh, those are up on Criterion, Elizabeth Subrin. Um, okay. And uh, let's see. We watched the uh, Operation Varsity Blues, the College Admissions Scandal. Um, okay, all right. They got a doc about that already, huh? Yeah, it was fine. It was a Netflix doc. It also had like, like basically they had an insane number of like taped phone calls because like the guy at the center of it had gotten caught, and so he agreed to like tap his phone so that he would get a light like, that he would hopefully get a later sentence. Um, mm. And uh, so they have all these conversations with people. So they had dramatic reenactments with actors. Of hmm. people, and I was a little mixed on how well. Yeah, I, I don't love that idea. <laughs> um, then uh, let's see. We watched we watched Nobody, which I I did not enjoy as much as you did. <laughs> oh, the, the I didn't love that movie, but uh, I do think uh, I think it can be. I think it's probably better if viewed as parody. Right, um, and I remembered you saying that, and I did attempt to view it through that lens, but I still got pretty fucking bored by the second half. Yeah, that's fair. So <laughs> just, and I also just don't have any particular, like Bob Odenkirk doesn't do anything for me particularly. So um, I feel like you don't watch Better Call Saul, do you? I don't watch Better Call Saul, and it's one of those. Yeah, probably eventually I should watch, but whether or not I ever will is questionable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, <clears throat> and we watched the French Dispatch. I just, <laughs> I think it didn't win you over. Huh? No, I think there are parts I like. I think what became like what 
it was really clear to me as I was watching, I think particularly this one, is that I just don't find Wes Anderson interesting. Like if I if I if he did that thing to me where he like clicked that button that I'm sure that I would find that the you know his sort of like way of the way of speaking of all of his characters and the all of this stuff I'm sure it would, I would find it delightful but I don't like it just doesn't hit that thing for me and so I just get bored like halfway mm. through because it's so extensive just this like elaborate ongoing like talk 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 um, in ways that I don't find particularly charming or interesting. And so by, by halfway through the movie, I just found myself drifting off periodically. I was just bored. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's whatever it's, I mean, obviously Wes Anderson is very skilled at what he does. Although as other people have brought up, there are some questions around Wes Anderson and his, uh, treatment of people of color or often <laughs> lack of including people of color. Um, yeah. But but as far as style goes, obviously he's very skilled. It's just not a style that does anything for me. That's fair. Um, let's see. We watched Pig, but we talked about that last week when it was on your list. Um, mm-hmm. I watched Spencer. Uh, oh, what do you think? Uh, I, I did, it's a it's a challenging movie to watch. I I gave it three and a half. I um, what I really came away from it from was that I I did think it was really. I think there's a level of real bravery, and we talked about this a little bit with The Lost Daughter, of playing a character who's really, like, unlikable a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, I mean, there's no doubt that, I mean, Stewart's performance was fucking tremendous. But, um, you know, there there was so much of the movie where I just wanted to, like, shake her and just be like, for the love of God, could you just, like, chill out for, like, three days? <laughs> like, yeah. Could you just chill out? But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how, you know, for one thing, it's not three days, right? Like, it's three days in this, like, sort of extent, extent, extremely hard situation. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's all the time in general. <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, I thought a lot about how, you know, when I was in high school and I had no control over my own life and I was miserable and, you know, how often I was almost certainly really frustrating to people and, you know, running into closets and cutting myself and like whatever. And, um, and, and so I think that's real. I think that's real. And I think, um, I think that she does a really great job of portraying it. Her performance is amazing. I might feel, but be- I might feel better about it too. If I gave it a second watch having a better idea of what I was going in for um but so like at least at this point I liked it but did not love it but I did love her performance I had a couple moments my biggest issue with it was that I didn't think it I thought it had a few moments where the drama tipped into silliness and I don't think it was intentional specifically the 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 worst offender for me was the scene where she has this sort of uh hallucination uh, at a not a hallucination that's overstating it but a I guess a sort of fantasy sequence type thing at, at yeah, dinner the first the night pearls. where she starts eating the pearls. That just went way too far for me. I was I was chuckling in the theater, which is definitely not the reaction you're supposed to be having. Oh, I don't think I had that reaction. Um, but I, I can see that. I can see how if the, the tenor doesn't land. And then we watched a whole bunch of uh, shorts by this woman, uh, Native uh, um, in Canadian. Uh, first Nations. First Nations, yes. Um, named uh, Caroline Monet. Just some absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous work. Um, really compelling stuff. Um, some just be- and just beautiful. Um, so again, those are up on Criterion. Caroline Monet. She was just really great. You can watch all of them in like less than an hour. So. <laughs> um, uh, we watched Being the Ricardos. 
How is that? I haven't watched it that one yet. Fine, I don't know. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have expected you to love it. I, I'm not expecting to love it either, but I do. Nicole Kidman's performance was very, very good, better than I expected. Um, and it was, it was fine. It was fine. It was very much, you know, it felt like his movie, and that's, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of fond of his thing, so I expect I will enjoy watching it. But I don't love his thing anymore, so. I doubt it'll go much farther than that. Yeah. Um, and then, again, we watched more shorts. This is the end of the year, so we were watching a lot of stuff. But Criterion just put up this really interesting set, um, or a few weeks ago. Uh, it was, it was uh, it's three Norwegian, uh, three Norwegian stop motion short films by this woman named Nikki Lindroth von Barr. Um, and they are so like so deeply funny and sad. Oh, sorry. Swedish, not Norwegian. Um, and like just there, <laughs> I recommend them. There are three of them. They are really fascinating, really beautiful, especially if you like stop motion, um, which I do. They are, they are something else. Um, so I would, I would strongly okay. recommend those. Um, if you have a chance, my review for one of them was, have you ever wondered how one might take a slug's br- blood pressure? I hadn't before, but now I know. So there's that. <laughs> wow. I didn't, it, I don't think it would have occurred to me that they had. I don't pressure. know if they do, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then our first movie of the year, me and Eric and Morgan watched 1994's The Shadow. That Alec Baldwin yes. superhero movie thing? Okay. We watched it. I saw that once we, many years ago. We watched it because Eric saw the like Eric saw the trailer for it when he I mean when he was like ten, I guess. Um mm. and really wanted to see it at the time, but his parents wouldn't let him. Um but he still he still to this day, having never seen the movie until a few weeks ago, will still occasionally quote like someone'll say who knows and he'll be like, The shadow knows. Um, so he just wanted to actually see it um and i enjoyed it and it has tim curry really hamming it up it's in a few points that's what he does and and yeah it's 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 dumb but it was enjoyable okay Um, i I remember literally nothing about it like i remember that i watched it but that's about it um and then eric and i watched the eyes of tammy faye how was that one Uh, i liked it uh i gave it four um i thought it was i mean great performances and both fronts really interesting yeah it worked for me um i know it didn't okay. i know it didn't work for everyone but um it did work for me okay uh, i watched no sudden move which i thought was fine <laughs> was that the uh the soderbergh yeah. one yeah, yeah i was eh. yeah it was it was fine uh he's he's done more interesting versions of the same thing I yes think. i think so too um we rewatched uh for the film school rejects list I watched uh Goodbye First Love with Eric, which I had seen before. I still just don't love it. It feels like something I should love. It is um I, I think it was an early film by uh Mia Mia Hansen Love. Um, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I knew it sounded familiar. Yeah, and you know, it's about these two teenagers who fall for just specifically from her perspective, and um, just sort of her. And I, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> a really like central point of the plot is that like after her her boyfriend leaves to go on his journey across America or whatever, or across the world or whatever he's doing, um, her uh, 
you know, she she starts sort of finding herself again and getting into architecture um, and ends up getting with her much older professor, uh, which right. is not shown as like a negative thing at all. And I just, eh. <laughs> just a, and you know, those, you know, those yeah, Europeans, yeah, yeah. libertines. Um, but, uh, you know, she, her performance is great. Uh, Lola Creighton. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's well-made, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't land for me. Um, and the second watch did not improve it for me. So, um, and then, uh, we, Eric and I watched the night house. Okay. Which I liked, but did not love. Same. I thought there was some really interesting stuff in that movie, but, uh, it's not like an all time favorite or anything. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't like the last, the last third or whatever quarter maybe kind of fell apart for me. It wasn't. I mean, that happens with horror movies, though, so <laughs> it's hard yeah. to say. I, the main thing that I remember about that movie is that it had it, it did a thing with a jump scare that I've never seen a movie do before, where it's this, this, that scene where she's, like, falling asleep. She has her friend there, and she's oh, yeah. in her friend's lap, I think. And then you get, like, this super loud noise that wakes her up, and she screams, and it startles her, and it's this big jump scare. But it does a thing that I've never seen before, which is that the noise continues. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's not, like, a sharp hit of noise. It just, it's an ongoing, very loud noise for like 10 seconds. Yeah. And it, it's, it's very effective. Like it, it made the whole moment a lot, you know, it was, it was scarier than just the jump yeah. because of that. Yeah. I was, there was, there was a few kind of technical things like that, that I, I was really impressed with. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it was well made. It's just, yeah. Um, then Morgan and I started our Criterion um, challenge, which I am actually trying to do twice, once by myself and once with Morgan. Um, so, <laughs> so the first, okay. uh, I, I will link to the criterion challenge in the notes, but, um, the, like it has 52 prompts, one for each week of the year. Um, and the first prompt is a movie from the year of your birth. Um, so, uh, so we watched two for that since one, <laughs> since we were born 10 years apart. Uh, so the one we watched for mine was a documentary called Streetwise, which I had actually seen clips from before, but never the movie. Um, it is a documentary about, um, young, about young people living on the streets, uh, in Seattle in the eighties. Um, and it's, it's exceptionally good. I mean, as someone who has worked with a lot of, you know, youth who are experiencing homelessness, I think um, <clears throat> the thing that stood out to me the most is that, you know, 30 years basically. And the only thing that changes is the hairstyles and the, and the mm -hmm. clothes. But, um, but it's, it's, it's quite a thing. Um, there is a sequel documentary to it following up on one of the characters that we're hoping to get to um, as well. Um, so that's up on Criterion. And then we watched Chung King Express, which was from the year Morgan was born, um, <clears throat> which was one of the um, Wong Kar Wise that I had not seen. And um, I can see why it made a big impact when it did. Um, it reminded me a lot of things like Amelie or like it's it's very like, I mean, the concept of Manic Pixie Dream Girl hadn't really been invented yet, but that's kind of what it is. Uh <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that character archetype has existed for right. a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, and I can definitely see why. But now it just feels eh, to me at this point. So it was definitely not my favorite of Walker Y. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one yet. I can't remember exactly which ones of his well, I've seen, but I don't think I've seen that um, one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just part of that box set that they put out, right? Uh, yeah, probably. I would imagine so. They have a yeah. bunch of... Yeah, I was going to see if I could easily figure out if you had watched it. Well, it should. if you look it up on Letterboxd, it should show me as one of the people who's 
who you follow who has rated it if I've watched it. Oh, because I'm not logged in. Sorry, because I'm on Morgan's computer. Oh, okay. Never mind. I will not do that. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and then Morgan and I watched uh, three Fantastic Four movies in a row um, for a different list that we're working on. Uh, they were all bad. Uh, <laughs> it took me a minute to remember that there were three. I'd oh, no, th- this isn't even counting the most recent one. There was one. Oh, did you watch that weird, like, 80s one that they made to keep the rights? 1994, but yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we did. We okay. did watch that. Um, none of them were. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. I saw the other, the two, you know, that came out when I was right. a kid. I saw them I had both. not seen those. The done. only one I had seen was the most recent one, which Allison and I watched. Um, and then uh, this list that Morgan is working through is a podcast called Blank Check that they listen to. I yeah yeah I know I, I don't Check, listen yeah. to it, but um, I like working through lists. I've never listened to it. I either, like working but. through lists, so we've been working through their movies. Yeah. Um, so one they did all of M Night Shyamalan at some point. So we watched mm-hmm. the very first movie that M Night Shyamalan ever made, which is fun, like reads a lot like a student film. Um, it's called uh, Praying with Anger. Right, we talked about this a little bit when when uh, when, when we did signs. I assume because yes. I was looking through his. Yeah, I had noticed it on there. I had never heard of it before. Well, if you wanted to watch it, I can get you hooked up to Morgan's Plex. The quality is bad. It's I'm in in all ways. Well, I yes, but, uh, <laughs> but like just the, it's, it's unfortunate because I suspect the visuals would have been pretty, but it's just it's not a great mm. it's not a great rip or whatever it is. So, um, but yeah. it was well. I don't think I'm curious enough to actually devote the time. But well, I have devoted the time and have now seen every Shyamalan thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we, the the next uh, prompts for the Criterion thing are movies from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Okay. So we watched uh, Payday, which is a Chaplin. Uh, short from the twenties. Uh, Morgan had never seen a Chaplin thing before, so that was fun. Um, we watched The Mummy, which I had not watched since I was young, um, teenager, and it held up really well. Uh, <laughs> Wait, are you talking about the the old the thirties? No, 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 no. The, this is the this 90s is just one. a separate thing that we were doing. I see how that's oh, okay. confusing. Sorry. Gotcha. Um, no, the yeah. Brendan Fraser. One and I was okay, surprised gotcha. at how much fun it was and how how well it held up overall. <laughs> I've I've heard that I haven't watched it in years. Yeah, uh, we we later watched the Mummy too, uh, and that one did did not hold up. <laughs> I mean, that one wasn't great then. Yeah, so I just remembered liking it more then. Yeah, um, I have been watching a bunch of Hitchcock because a bunch of the Criterion's Hitchcock is expiring, and also it allowed me to do sort of my own Criterion thing. So I watched the silent mm. one, The Lodger, a story of the London Fog. Um, I did see that one at some point. Jared and I watched a few of his silence, but I don't remember anything. Yeah, any it didn't them, really so. stand out for me. Um, I watched Shadow of a Doubt, which I liked a lot. I remember. Yeah, that was a good Great. one. Um, I watched Young and Innocent, which I was enjoying pretty well until the entire last, like, ten minutes all relied on a blackface joke. Um, <laughs> huh. I don't know if I saw that one. I don't remember. That. Wasn't a big fan. Wasn't a big fan of that. Um, and um, I watched, uh, Eric and I watched uh, Saboteur and the Man Who Knew Too Much, the 50s version. Okay. Um, I gotta say, with with regards to uh, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Hitchcock is really good at, at making Jimmy Stewart an awful person. That's true. He was good at undercutting his. Uh, <laughs> he did it. He did it with Cary Grant. Too. It wasn't always 
clear to me how much I was supposed to hate Jimmy Stewart, but there definitely was an entire sequence in that movie where I was like, oh my God, Doris, if you do not leave his ass <laughs> and never come back uh, with your child. Sweet. I think the 50s Man Who Knew Too Much was like one of the first Hitchcock movies we ever watched way back when I was like 13 or whatever when we started mm. watching them. And I haven't seen it since. So I, I have very little memory. I kind of remember the whole the whole climactic scene takes place at the opera, right? That's that one? Yes. Yeah, I kind of remember that that whole sequence, but I don't really remember much yeah. else. Um, We went to go see the new Scream, uh, which was fine. I was hoping it would be better. It didn't okay. work for me that well, but it was fine. Maybe it would have worked better if I had watched all the previous ones leading up to it. I just didn't have time. I don't know. Um, okay. We rewatched The Grey for the Film School Rejects list. Liked it even less this time than I did last the time. The Liam Neeson yep. one? Mm-hmm. Hate, okay. Hate I like that, that movie. movie. Hated yeah. very, very much. Uh, really nothing I in that movie it. for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me, I guess. But I actually own that movie. I, um, I we watched the new short uh, stop motion Netflix thing, The House. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the, the mice or whatever? Yeah, different animals. There's like three segments that all have different okay. animals. And they are Yeah, I've, I, I've heard creepy. about that, yeah. Um, it is. Yeah, that's. <laughs> this is very, very creepy. Um, we watched uh, Ron's Gone Wrong, which was terrible, honestly. Initially, it started out that pretty cute, sense. and then it continued and got dumber and dumber and felt more and more like somebody being like, this is what the kids should be worried about in this age of technology. <laughs> Mm. Okay. Um, we watched Glass and Old so that we could finish my Shyamalan thing. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, we watched Dark Star. Oh, uh, yeah. You, I saw your – you mentioned that you'd, you'd watch that yeah, one. Yeah, um, so very early Carpenter. Way more enjoyable than right, I was, was expecting, just... honestly. Um, right. I, I was not at all sure. You should really – you should for sure watch it. I It was – Oh, no, I've seen it. Okay. I saw it several years ago. I I thought it played like a decent, decently funny student film that maybe would have been a lot better if it had been forty minutes long. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny, and I thought it was super fascinating because the writer is the guy who did Alien, um, and right. I think you, yeah. could, you could really see the DNA for sure. <laughs> Alien, yeah. which is super interesting. Uh, we mm-hmm. watched Clifford, which was terrible. Um, not the Big Red Dog, but the '90s one with Martin Short. Why? Uh, because it was on the blank checklist. <laughs> oh, okay. Who directed that one? <laughs> Who did direct that one? What a good question. Isn't that what blank check does? Don't they do? Mostly, but I think this was sort of a, a standout or a, like a different oh, one okay. where they were, they have a few exceptions. Um, it was by Paul Flaherty. I think it was, they had done it at the very beginning of their show, apparently, and then they did a second show about it because there are people who, who stand up for this movie. And by the second half, I could kind of understand what they were saying, that like it was intended to be extremely dark. Um, I believe, uh, what is his name? Uh, Rabin, Nathan Rabin, who did like the year of terrible movies or whatever, wrote a passionate essay oh, defending okay. it as like a, um, as like a, uh, uh, meditation on evil. Um, <laughs> Interesting. And I, okay. I, I can see where they're coming from. I still just found it so like skin crawlingly horrible to watch most of the time that, but it did feel a little less awful if it was kind of intentional. Uh, <laughs> so okay. uh, we watched for our thirties one is where we watched the Mikado, uh, which is, it was a uh, Gilbert and Sullivan, uh, musical operetta thing. Um, it is uh, 
entirely set supposedly in Japan, and every single person is in yellow face for the entire movie. Awesome. Um, which makes Love it that. all the more annoying that uh, it is actually quite funny in places, and the music is very good. <laughs> Mm. So I will not be rewatching Yellow Face, the motion picture. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's mm, mm, mm. anyway, okay. we watched that. Um, and then yesterday we're to yesterday. Uh, <laughs> yesterday we watched for our 40s criterion. We watched uh, Dirty Gertie from Harlem, USA, um, which is a movie directed by a man named uh, Spencer Williams who apparently most famously did a movie called The Blood of Christ that was also in the 40s. Um, hmm. And it's like an entirely black film. Like, everyone involved in this is black. Um, okay. And it was interesting. I didn't love the end. Um, I was worried that it was going to end the way it did. <laughs> but it did. But there were still some really interesting things, and it felt it felt different than a lot of stuff I had seen. Um, so hmm. I, I, it's, it's, okay. it's for sure an interesting little thing. Um, and then we went to go see The Tragedy of Macbeth. And how about we talk about that when you talk about it? So one more. Um, last night, we before American History X, we watched uh, A Face in the Crowd for our 50s. Have you seen that one? That's uh, Elias Kazan? Yes. Yeah, I've seen that one a few times. I love that movie. So good. So fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really didn't know that much. Um, but, I mean, and I know I'm not saying anything new here. I think this is what a lot of people say. But, wow, the prescience. Of, mm -hmm. uh, of that movie in terms of yep. how the media works and the whew, that was uh, yeah it's really something it's really something yeah. it was it was exceptional okay that's that's enough things um oh oh last one we watched Piranha and I didn't like it that that's that's it. the original yeah like the seventies one there's or whatever like such an extended okay. sequence of like small children get screaming and getting eaten by piranhas and I I didn't enjoy it I didn't I didn't like it well they had to they had to top Jaws because yeah. right? Jaws had the kid that got killed but it was quick yeah so yeah didn't like it you know. anyway go you okay all right um so let's see Rosemary's Baby was the last thing we covered other than the okay um I watched the Jean-Luc Godard film Piero Le Fou. Okay. Because uh, Mubi was doing a series of his, and I hadn't seen that one. And I didn't care for it. I, I keep trying with Godard. I remember liking Breathless when we watched that way back in the day. Yeah. And I feel like I've liked one or two others of his, but for the most part, I have just not been... I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of his movies, but I didn't like Alphaville... Uh, I didn't really like a band apart. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's just not my thing. But I, I think I'm mostly. Like. I think I'm mostly with you. I've only seen it looks like two percent of his 138 movies. He has done a crazy amount of stuff, yeah, and he's still making stuff. But um, I think that like my memory is that I liked Breathless, but it looks like the other two things I've watched by him were two or three things I know about her, and uh, a woman is a woman, and I was. Not well, you've also seen Alphaville. You really like that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That must have been further yeah. down the list. I did really like Alphaville and I like Breathless, but I did not like those other two. So. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, oh, so I don't know if you watched it. I told you uh, Mubi had uh, Julia Ducarneau's debut short on there. Yeah, I did not watch it. Uh, okay. It's called Junior. Mm -hmm. um, it is more of the like sort of body horror stuff, although in a more... Uh, it, it has that same girl um, who was in 
raw and I think is I think she's been in all of her stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, G- I don't know how to say her name. Garance Marillier. I don't know how to say it, but <laughs> she's like this teenage girl going through puberty in this basically. Uh, and it's, it has a lot of like gross, unpleasant things in it. Cool. <laughs> like, so there's a, there's a lot of people after raw came out talking about how it made them nauseous. And like, do you remember the scene with the finger? Oh, I sure fucking do. Yeah, that that scene in particular made people nauseous and like they had to leave the theater or whatever. Nothing in Raw re- uh, affected me that way. The opening shot of this affected me that way. <laughs> it actually made me feel a little sick, which I don't think I've ever experienced in a movie before. Actually, I, that's not something that happens. I was to say often. I don't get nauseous, and but, I don't think I got nauseous in Raw, but I did spend all of Raw curled up into the smallest ball I could get into on the bed and like peeking through my fingers periodically <laughs> and wanting to crawl out of my own skin. So, uh, like, you know, she one can say that she's very effective on me, but I don't I don't know if it's mm. an effect that I long for as a rule. That's fair. <laughs> uh, let's see here. The next few things were all things we talked about last week because I watched I had Power of the Dog, Nightmare Alley and The Lost Daughter. I watched all three right in a row. Yeah. So those all three ended up in my top ten. Weekend there. Um, I finished that uh, that Landscapers miniseries Ooh, on I HBO that, that, that I, I talked about. Yeah, I actually watched I watched the last episode of that immediately after watching The Lost Daughter. Oh, interesting. Uh, so it was it was quite a quite a morning for uh, uh, for Olivia Coleman yeah. for me. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was good. I didn't I didn't love it, but I thought it was good. I liked it. I thought it, I, 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 I thought a lot of the like um, there was a lot of interesting filmic stuff going on. Yeah. With the like fourth wall breaking. And, that is true. Uh, you know, it kind of some of it kind of reminded me of um, of Dogville mm. with the, like minimalist sets. In, there was one scene in particular they, where they were like telling, they were retelling something, and they went into a bar to talk, and they they there was like there were no walls; it was just like an outline on the floor, and there were other people in the room, but all the other people were just wearing like blank masks, mm-hmm. and it was it was interesting. It was cool. I watched the amusement park, which is. Depending on how you're measuring it, it was made in 1975, but it wasn't released until last year. Oh, this is the one by uh, his face. George Romero. Yeah. yeah. So this <laughs> first, I, I think it would have been, yeah, it would have been post Night of the Living Dead. But for some reason, he was hired by some like seniors advocacy organization to make essentially like a PSA movie mm-hmm. about the mistreatment and neglect of senior citizens in America. And he, I don't know why they went to him for this, but what he made was this really kind of unsettling horror movie about this kind of senile old guy wandering through this amusement park and getting like increasingly uh, sort of ignored slash pushed around and just goes through all this terrible treatment. And when he apparently when he turned this movie in to the people who'd hired him to make it, they were like, what the fuck is this? Mm. This We can't release this. This is not what we wanted. And so it never got released. And then it was just recently rediscovered. uh, Yeah. Last year or the year before, maybe. Yeah. I think it was the end of 2020 or the beginning of 2021, something like that. Yeah. Um, So that was uh, shutter had it, I think. Mm. So I watched it. It was it was interesting. It's not like a. It's definitely not my favorite Romero or anything, but it's worth watching. It's only an hour long, so mm-hmm. that's nice. Um, I watched Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar yes. as, as part of our. Uh, you know, I was trying to squeeze in some more twenty twenty one movies. 
um, which is quite funny. It's it's really cute. Uh, yeah, it's a fun movie. I, I didn't I didn't love it the way a lot of people did. I saw it in a lot of top ten lists and stuff, um, and I, it definitely didn't land for me that well. But it's very funny. Yeah. In a in a very like, it's it's almost like a '90s style like mm-hmm. goofy over the top comedy that I feel like. But like much of anymore. Yes to that, and also. Like it, it does feel like a '90s thing, and also it feels like a bit more um, modern sexual politics than a '90s thing, right? Which is better, yeah, for so. sure, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but that that aspect is not my only issue with those '90s comedies. I they're just not my favorite for the most part. But this one was funny. I like, yeah, it. it's enjoyable. Um, <clears throat> uh, I saw The Matrix Resurrections, which I did like quite a bit. Uh, it obviously didn't make my my end of the year list or you would have heard about it last week but i mean you did hear about it last um, week just for me <laughs> right you talked about it a little bit yeah i guess that's true and i guess i talked about it a little bit last week yeah. too when you were talking about it so don't need to go into detail there but i liked it um raya and the last dragon we, mm. i realized was also a 2021 movie that i hadn't seen yeah um so we watched that one uh really fantastic visuals uh yeah, beautiful not a not a great script no um, also, I, once I again, think, Disney wimps out and does not make the characters gay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're working up to it. You know, they'll, they'll get there someday. Although that other princess with the with the half shave, very hot. Very mm-hmm. hot. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was you know, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was worth watching. The, the visuals really are incredible. And there's a lot of cool, like, uh, kind of world building stuff going on. But yeah. Uh, Definitely some problems with that screenplay. Yeah, yeah. We saw it in theaters uh, and just didn't, yeah. yeah. There's a whole thing, I, I guess spoilers here, but there's a there's a whole thing where, like, before the movie had started, there was this, like, evil force that is kind of nebulous and not very well explained, and the dragons had done this, like, magic thing. The evil force was turning everyone into stone, including the dragons, and the last remaining dragons had done this magic thing to defeat the evil force and contain it, but all but one of them had been turned into stone in the process, and for some reason, the magic it returned all of the people to their human form, but it didn't return the dragons to it. Mm-hmm. And no one really knew why, but that was a thing. So all there's only one dragon left and all the others are still turned into stone, scattered throughout the world, whatever. And at the end of the movie, this evil force gets unleashed again and starts turning everyone to stone again. And they are able to do this magic again. But for some reason, the second time it does free the dragon <laughs> and it never explains why. <laughs> Like, they made a big deal earlier on about the fact that it didn't work for the dragons the first time. But the second time it does, and there's no explanation of why. It it felt like a a thing where, like, this... It felt like a studio note thing where someone came in and was like, no, no, we gotta... This has to be a happier ending. We gotta free the dragons. (laughs) Like, okay, fine. And they just redid it that way without an explanation. I don't know. So, yeah. Not not a bad movie. It's, It's pretty. It's worth watching. But... Um... So I did a couple of a couple more things for that Evolution of Horror podcast that I've been listening to. Mm-hmm. Do, I'm still listening to their season on ghost stories, mm-hmm. um, and they did an episode about a couple of the most famous uh, like BBC specials that were ghost stories. They did the BBC for years in like the 60s and 70s. I guess they did a thing of like they would do a ghost story for Christmas every year. Mm. Um. And so the first one was, I guess, the what what kicked that off because it was such a big success. It was the first one of those. It was called "Whistle and I'll Come to You," from 1968. Um, it was an adaptation of a um, an M.R. James story. Who is, I guess, several of the 
ghost stories for Christmas were adaptations of his. He's like, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I've never read any of his stuff, but he's, uh, um, he wrote primarily ghost stories and is considered by people who are into ghost stories to be one of the best. Um, so whistle and I'll come to you was, uh, it was about this, this like academic on like a, a working vacation kind of thing on the coast of England. And he goes to this graveyard and finds this old, this old whistle. Uh, and it basically, he ends up getting himself haunted um, but it, it's an interesting, the, the main guy in this is an actor named Michael Hordern, who I had not seen before, or at least I didn't recognize. I'd seen him in a few things, but, um, he, his performance in this thing is so weird <laughs> and so unique. I've never seen a character quite like it before. Um, and it really worked for me. Uh, and there's some stuff with the, like the ghost aspect and the haunting, the creepiness that is pretty well done in you know it's 1968 so it's very like low tech uh fairly simple kind of stuff but it's it was pretty well done i enjoyed it and it's on youtube for free and it's only 42 minutes long so nice uh that's worth checking out um and then the other thing i watched was a um a feature length tv movie called the stone tape that was also a ghost story thing it was about this um this group of of researchers who they work for this um like audio company audio equipment company and they go they get set up in this essentially like this old castle the company that they work for buys it and sends this big team of them there and the the idea is that they're supposed to be coming up with a a new method of audio recording Mm -hmm. like that's their goal they're trying to they're trying to get past tape so they have this group of like brilliant you know, top of their field guys who are all going to put their heads together and try to come up with something totally new. And they discover this room in this old house that has not been renovated because the workers refuse to work in there. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, of course, it turns out to be haunted. And uh, they end up with this 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 idea that something about the stone in the wall is actually, it's not that there is like a ghost living in the room. It's that <clears throat> this this terrible event has somehow been like recorded within the stone of the wall. Okay. And so they start doing experiments to try to figure out how it works so that they can replicate it because they think they've found their thing. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't go well, as, you know, things like that usually don't. Sure. Um, it is very, like, it is a TV movie from 1972, so, like, it was clearly shot on video, and it, it doesn't look great. Uh, but it was it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Okay. It was fun. Okay. Um, and I guess it was also like super influential. Um, it was kind of one of the first to suggest the idea of haunting as like a, a residual thing that's tied to a place mm, mm. rather than like a, a, a you know, a, a being that resides in the place mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess people still refer to that as the stone tape theory. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, which it was not a term that I had heard before, but <clears throat> um, let's see. I saw Spider-Man No Way Home, mm-hmm. which I believe you and I talked about it a little bit. Um, I liked it, but I think Spider-Verse did most of the same stuff better. Uh, so I, I didn't love it. I didn't like it as much as I was hoping to. It was my least favorite of the new Spider-Man movies. Um, but whatever. It was good. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Um, I watched Bergman Island, which I think I mentioned briefly last week. You did. How was that? Uh, it was good. Um, 
I think I've, I might have gotten a little more out of it if I was a little bit closer to my Bergman phase. I feel like that's why I haven't made a point to watch it, because I'm like, man, it's just been such a yeah. long time since I've seen a Bergman thing. Right. I suspect there were references in there that I didn't get. Uh, but it's an, it's an interesting movie, and it's about, you know, it's about, like, the creative process, which is always something that I find interesting. And it has uh, Vicky Creeps and Tim Roth and Mia Wasikowska, who are all really good. I like all of them a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I liked it. It's worth watching. It's uh, I think it's on Hulu. I think that's where I watched it. Cool. Uh, and then we get to the tragedy of Macbeth. Ah yes, the tragedy of Macbeth. It's funny. I had I thought when I first heard that that you know for uh, for his first solo outing without Ethan that Joel Cohen was going to be doing a Shakespeare adaptation. That seemed extremely weird to me because the Coens are very well known for like their writing is their whole thing, right? Like. They, they are very particular about their screenplays. Every um and uh is written into their screenplays. You don't change Cohen's screenplay. Like that, <laughs> that's their whole thing. So taking on something like Shakespeare, which, of course, it's already written, and you're not allowed to fuck with it. <laughs> not, if, not if you're going to do, like, a traditional adaptation. So it just seemed like a really weird choice. But it's interesting. If you think about it, I hadn't really – this hadn't really occurred to me. But if you think about it, the story of Macbeth – fits very well into the types of stories that the Coens like to tell. Yeah. It's it's these people who they they see an opportunity to get ahead mm-hmm. by cheating and they jump at it and it comes back to bite them. <laughs> <laughs> this is like half of the movies the Coens have made. That's true. That's true. So it actually fits very well into that into their their pattern. Um and I I'm sure there's been interesting stuff written already about this movie and Ethan's absence from it and how you can see that or not see it. Uh, I don't necessarily have much to say about that, having only seen the movie once. Um, but I really liked it. Uh, having Denzel Washington play Macbeth is just a, I mean, like, what a treat. <laughs> he's, he's so good. I was very surprised at how, like, Denzel Washington-y his performance was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he manages to, like, you know, this is not a bad thing, but he has, like, a thing that he does, you know. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really sure how that would, how well that would work in Shakespeare, in Macbeth. Uh, but he manages to put a lot of it in there, and it works very well. Yeah. Um, we uh, we went to go see it last, last night. Um, we had made, this was our third attempt to go see it in theaters. <laughs> the first mm-hmm. time we got snowed out, and the second time I wasn't feeling well, so we decided not to chance it. And I was like, maybe it's cursed. Maybe we'll never get to see Macbeth. Um, mm-hmm. I... Uh, <laughs> I, think, I mean, Macbeth is famously cursed. I know. So that was, that was the joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> that said, I did not actually know that much about Macbeth. I've never seen an adaptation of Macbeth. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I wasn't that familiar. I mean, you know, I knew that the queen goes crazy and um, a few mm-hmm. of the lines out, out, damn spots, mm-hmm. and something wicked this way comes and a few things mm-hmm. like that. But um, I knew there were witches. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I <laughs> which incidentally, the portrayal of the witches in this movie is fucking incredible. Oh yeah, no, they're great. I mean, that's the highlight of the movie, and I like the movie a lot. But I've I've never seen anything like it. It's so cool. Like it's so specifically filmic. I don't think you could ever do it on stage. Uh, it's just yeah, just fantastic. It's the highlight of the movie for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were great. I, I <laughs> so I, I think a thing about me is that I is that I don't really like Shakespeare. Um, I mm. I don't exactly hate Shakespeare. I just, I never like studied to try to figure out how to 
understand Shakespeare and I never cared enough really to do that. Um, so I personally am of the opinion that I get only slightly more, um, from watching a Shakespeare adaptation, especially without subtitles, um, than I would from getting a not from watching closely a non-English language film without subtitles. Um, mm. I like, I would say that nine out of 10 words I do not pick up. I, I get enough to like understand yeah. the basic plot. <laughs> so, I, yeah, so what my experience with watching Shakespeare adaptations, the way it always goes for me is for the first 10 minutes or so, I feel like I'm just adrift. I'm not catching most of what's being said. Uh, they This one in particular really kind of drops you right into the middle of like a bigger story. Yeah. Because um, there's like, you know, the, the beginning of this movie is that this big battle has just been fought and the way that that went down kind of shapes everything that comes next. But, you know, it doesn't really bother to explain like who... Who who were they fighting? What's going on? With, you know, uh, so there's a, but I, I find that I tend to adjust to it after ten minutes or so, and I I can follow. I not that I'm getting everything, but I'm at least following the plot and following the character motivations and stuff. <laughs> I will say I will say we were fortunate. We went to see it at the Pickford, and we went to see a show that had subtitles. <gasps> oh, I'm so jealous. So that I think that did definitely help. And I do, I do recommend. There was a dude in our theater who had one of the little, the little thingies that did the subtitles in front of him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I could only just barely see it, and I was so jealous because I do think it would have <laughs> helped. Um, I like to be clear, I did like it. I liked it a lot. I I gave it four. It is probably one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. Every single mm-hmm. shot is just like a perfect still image. Um, and then you hit one right. that's somehow more breathtaking than the one before. Uh, and it, it does a really interesting thing where it's like, it's all it's all clearly shot on stage. Is yes, like, it's extremely it's stagey, all, but so cinematic, which is like right. such an interesting thing. It's like a thing. hybrid of, of the, the stage and... Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a movie... It. Like, it's, all, it's all like stages, but it's all so much bigger than you could do on an actual stage. Yes. And yeah, really well done. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's gorgeous. I did like it just in terms of the experience of watching it. And if I had the chance to watch it in a theater again, I probably would do so. Um, mm-hmm. I doubt I would watch it outside of a theater. Um, I I don't know. I mean, everything in it is great. I just don't like Shakespeare that much. Like, and yeah. I just don't care enough to, to like, but I mean, yeah, obviously all the performances are great. It just looks absolutely incredible. Um, I find that I have a particularly hard time with the, uh, the monologues or soliloquies or whatever, um, because their sentences are so long. And if yeah. I lose track, yeah, you that, really gotta, it, it takes sometimes a bit of mental looping back. Like, wait, where did this sentence right. start? Yeah. So that happened in <laughs> almost every single monologue that I, that I yeah. like at some point be like, well, I have no idea where you started that sentence, or so I'm I'm giving up on this, and I assume I will figure out more when we get the dialogue was a little easier for me because it was usually a little bit shorter. Um, yeah. I felt like you could really tell that Frances McDormand was just having a fucking blast, um, and I, mm-hmm. I love that for her. Um, <laughs> and so, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a great movie, and I'm sure if you love if you love Shakespeare, you have a lot more smarter things to say about it than me. Um, but. Uh, it, it, it is like if you have a chance to go see it in theaters, it, it is a theatrical experience and it is it is worth it. It's interesting, too, because like the Coen brothers, one thing that they have taken some criticism for in their career is like you were talking about with Wes Anderson is the lack of people of color in their movies. Yeah. Uh, and it's that is not an unfair criticism. Um, and it's so it's interesting that 
it's with with the Shakespeare adaptation that they cast. Not like okay, they cast Denzel Washington in the lead role. Like Denzel Washington is like a fucking movie star. Right. Like, <laughs> casting Denzel Washington doesn't really get you diversity points. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not just Denzel Washington. No. It's it's a significant portion of the cast are played by black people, including mm-hmm. um, McDuff, the guy who ends up being the you know his his foil in the end uh, is played by um, what's his name. Uh, he was in In the Heights. He's really good. He was. Uh, Corey Hawkins. Yes. Yeah. And his son, um, there's a, there's a scene with his son and his wife earlier on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent that entire scene just driving myself crazy as who is this child? I have seen this child. I have seen him extensively. I am almost positive it is in a television show because it feels like I have seen him that much. And I was like, does Izzy and this is us? Does he play a young Randall? No. Um, anyway, uh, the, the end of this exciting story is that, uh, he is, uh, one of the kids in Queen Sugar, which I had in fact watched <laughs> three, oh. three seasons of, uh, but he's great. He okay. plays blue in Queen Sugar for anyone who may have seen it. And, uh, I was I was very excited for him. This seems like a big deal for him. To yeah, this. but it was just one of those things. You know, you have those in the theater where you're like, "Fuck, yeah, <laughs> I know who sure, this yeah. is, and I cannot think of it, and I cannot pull out my phone." <laughs> anyway, okay, yeah, uh, but yeah, no, really good. I, it, it, if I had, I saw it later in the afternoon that we recorded our our top 10 show. Uh, if I had seen it before, I think it may have made my list. I was going to ask if you thought it would make, I don't think it would have yeah. made mine for reasons as stated, but, um, but I'm, I'm so glad we made it to theaters to see it for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I got a few more here. Um, I assume you heard a couple weeks ago, Peter Bogdanovich died. I did. I did hear that. Uh, the great director, film historian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, I believe it was his first movie, The Last Picture Show. Have you seen The Last Picture yes, Show? Yes, love The Last Picture Show. Amazing Okay, movie. so I had never seen The Last Picture Show, and they did a showing of it at the picture oh, nice. because of his, him having died. So I took the opportunity to go see it, and it's one of the saddest movies that I've ever seen. So fucking sad, but incredible. Uh, it's great. I've been thinking about it ever since. Yeah. I think I'm going to end up having to buy it. Um, yeah. Also, I had like I knew that, that Jeff Bridges had started acting young, mm-hmm. but... I did not know that he had started that young. <laughs> he's, he's he's credibly playing a high schooler in this movie. Yep. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm not sure how old he actually was. Uh, let's see. He was born in 49 and the last picture show was 71. So he wasn't a literal child, but... Uh, but very young. Tells it. Yeah. Um, yeah. A really, really fantastic movie. And now I definitely need to watch... Because I haven't really seen much of Bogdanovich's directorial output... I guess oh, he actually did. He did targets before he did the last picture show. I think, which I think is the only other one of his that I've seen. I don't think I saw. Uh, that. And tar- targets was really good. Um, another interesting, uh, sort of disturbingly prescient movie about it's about a guy who decides uh, he's basically it's about a mass shooter. Mm, mm. He just starts randomly shooting people, uh, and it had Boris Karloff in it in a really cool late career role. It might have been his last movie actually. Okay. Um, but he directed quite a lot of stuff and I've, I've hardly seen any of it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I I think I need to paper moon at least is, I know it's supposed to be really good. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, one of these days I'll have to get to more of his stuff. Um, and then lastly, uh, it's funny because you talked about having gone to see the new Scream and how you may have liked it better if you had rewatched the the older ones leading up to it. 
so we've watched Scream 2 and 3 <laughs> over, the, over the last week because we I talked about it before we went to see the original a few months ago they played it at, at the theater here mm-hmm. uh, and just loved it oh yeah it's fucking it. incredible I've seen it before and yeah it's just great um, and and we have a friend who is really into them and wants to go see the new one but doesn't want to go by herself. Mm-hmm. She's like, when are we going to see it? And I was like, well, May's only ever seen the first one. I never saw the fourth one. <laughs> so we, we're, we're catching up here. Got it. Uh, so we've done two and three, um, which, of course, are not as good as the first one, but they're, they're both fun. Yeah, I, found, I, I, I remember finding all the sequels enjoyable, like not comparable yeah. to, the, to the masterpiece that is the first one, but like fun. I had forgotten the variety of teen t- television stars that they got oh, so many. for the second one. For the second one in particular, uh, I, I didn't remember that Timothy Oliphant was in it and Sarah Michelle Gellar and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the uh, Joshua Jackson. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, I of- remembered Sarah Michelle Gellar because... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I kind of remembered it when she showed up. I would say, I mean, also she's the opening death in that movie, so like, much like Drew Barrymore. Uh, no, she wasn't. Wasn't she? The opening, the opening scene in that movie was the movie theater with uh, oh, Peter right. Smith and Omar Epps. My bad, but uh, she also. Died I think she's. She? she does. I think she might be the first death after that. Yeah. In like on campus, because the whole thing is set on the college campus, right? right? Yeah, she's in a sorority um, house or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was it was fun. And the, the third one was also fun, if slightly less so. Uh, so we got to do the fourth one still, which I've never seen. And then hopefully sometime next week we'll, we'll go see the new one. We'll all see right. How that goes. Well, we'll look forward to hearing what you thought. Yeah, I'm sure you'll hear all about it. <laughs> and I think that's all. I don't think I have any other TV to... Oh, you know, <laughs> you know what May and I have been watching? What? For the, the last couple of weeks, we started watching The Golden Girls. Oh! Which I had never seen before. I had never seen an episode of it in my life. Uh, but they have it on Hulu. And we started watching it. We had been doing Bob's Burgers as like our constant go-to when we're just like eating dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we kind of got to the point where we had like watched all of those repeatedly. Right. And it was like we're, we would like be scrolling through looking for one that we hadn't seen recently and we couldn't find one. Yeah. So we were kind of looking for something else. And then, of course, uh, uh, Betty White. Betty White died couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. right and so it's been people have been talking about it and they have the whole run of the golden girls on hulu so we've started watching that where i think we're like 15 16 episodes into the first season and it is very funny i'm i'm thoroughly enjoying it Mm -hmm. all four of the main women are just great they're incredible Uh, i mean yeah yeah. not everything holds up yeah there there is i mean it started in 1985 right it's very progressive for 1985 (laughs) right yeah yeah, it mostly it mostly holds up. It does, and I mean it's a, it's a show that overall. I mean, me and Jess and Mona all the time reference like that. That was our goal. We started watching it when like together when we were in our twenties, and we're like, someday we're gonna be the old ladies who eat cheesecake together in the middle of the night. And <laughs> yeah, I will say the only TV thing that I wanted to mention I've been watching. Um, do you watch How to with John Wilson? I have not watched that. I keep seeing people talk about it. Um, I've been watching it with Morgan. Morgan loves it. Um, so we rewatched the, well, he, they rewatched the first season with me. Um, and now we've just moved into the second season and it really is, it's something, I mean, there's only like 12 episodes, they're 30 minutes each. It's a, it's a quick, it's a quick watch and it's definitely not like anything else I've seen. It's, it's really fascinating and like sad and funny and yeah. So I recommend it. All right. Cool. 
Okay, well, I have to go watch Sundance movies because I am the sort of person who gets to watch Sundance movies this year. <laughs> yeah, have fun with that. <laughs> we're uh, we're actually going to go see um, the Regal Theater here in town is playing Casablanca today. Ooh, nice. They're, the, they're doing like a Fathom event because it's the 80th anniversary this year. Sure. Uh, so we're going to go see that. Nice. I'm, I'm excited about nice. it. I've never seen it on a big screen. Yeah, so. no, me neither. That yeah. sounds like it'll be beautiful. Yeah. Okay, well... Then we will talk to y'all in a couple of weeks and we'll talk about Bloody Sunday. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Okay. Bye, bye everyone. everyone. <laughs>